Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Stars. We wrap up our playbook series, and it has been so fun. But I think today, everything has built for today. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to get ahead a little bit. Turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 12 is where we're going to camp out today. We're going to start reading down in verse 28. Mark chapter 12. If you got your Bible, it's probably the great way to follow along. If you were here last week, I tons of you downloaded the app, go to North Star Church, Georgia. If you didn't, in the app store, it's got all the notes, all the passages, the little, uh, the version Bible's linked in there, and it's just a great way to have all things North Star with you all the time. So all the stuff's in there, or you got your little playbook outline. Um, today, we're going to talk about what is the game plan that is the game plan of all game plans. So that's what we're going to talk about here in a second. But I did want to pause right here at the top of the message for those of you watching online, out on the patio today, here in Compass. Uh, today, right across the road, we have some really good friends. January the 5th, 1997, North Star launched. I remember it was February. I had a buddy move in town, and he, this, and I he said, buddy, now I didn't know him then. And he's like, hey, we're launching a church. We're moving here from Virginia, and God has called us to start a church in Paulding County. And I went, you're crazy. All right. There's nobody in Paulding County. Sorry. All right. And so I'm like, you got to do it in Cobb, man. And so they were trying to get a school in Cobb or in uh, Paulding. They couldn't get it. So, the Sunday before Labor Day of 1997, we were at Vaughn Elementary School. North Cobb was doing construction, so we went way out to Vaughn. We did church, so we're moving back. So the next Sunday, this church got our lease at Vaughn, and they started their church that following Sunday at Labor Day of 1997. Everybody knows, start, a, start on Labor Day. It's a great time to start a church. Wrong. All right, but anyway, so they started, and so we left all our plastic chairs. It's all we could donate at the time. We left all our plastic chairs there in the auditorium there at Vaughn. We left them for that church, and that little church today is called Westridge over in Hiram, and they are our closest friends in ministry. Brian's my best friend, and uh, they're just amazing people. And today they're celebrating 25 years of ministry of a church that's not going to work in Paulding. I think they did okay. All right. Would y'all thank the Lord for Westridge and what God's done there? Just such a great church. I went back a few years ago. I did a staff meeting for them, and I'm like, guys, we're so proud of you, but I came to get our chairs back, all right? I need those chairs now. You've, you've outgrown them. But anyways, they're over there getting it done, and here's why they're getting it done. They're getting it done because they've made the game plan really, really simple. So yesterday, I was watching college football. Uh, it was dreary outside. I got my yard work done early in the morning. I was watching a game that none of my teams were in, and it was a really, really good game. And they were saying, because this team was stopping the other team, like they could not get anything going offensively. And they said, oh, in the offseason, there is a special assistant to the head coach that is a brilliant defensive guy, and he's been designing a game plan for this game for months. Gary Patterson, who was at TCU so long, is now at Texas, and he has been crafting a game plan for that game. That's all he had worked on for months. This, what we're going to read today, isn't my idea of a game plan. It's not 
our creative team's idea of a game plan. It's God's idea of a game plan. This conversation we're about to read, Jesus lays out for us what matters. Not just what matters to North Star. You may be here today and you're visiting with a friend. You'll never come back to North Star. This isn't a, this isn't a North Star message. This is a you and God deal because he lays out for us what matters. Jesus, every time, so you'll know this, every time Jesus went out to teach and he had a conversation with a religious leader, okay, nine out of 10 times, the purpose of the conversation was to to get Jesus in trouble. That was the purpose. They did not like how he did ministry. They did not like how he did life. So they were always trying to stump him and they were always trying to get him. What we're gonna read today is them trying to get to Jesus because that was their goal from the beginning of his ministry and ultimately, that's how they got him when he went to the cross. That is ultimately, they said he blasphemed the Lord when he said he was, he was, they said you, so you're saying that you are God's son and you're saying you're all this. And he said, well, that, I didn't say it, you said it. And they start ripping their clothes and saying blasphemy and all this. This was part of that, we're gonna get you process. But while they're trying to get him, Jesus is brilliant. He lays out for us what matters. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Would y'all stand with me today in honor of reading God's word together? Verse 28 says, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. This whole thing's going on. So it's just a, this is a pulled out conversation of a bigger conversation. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked this, of all the commandments, which is the most important? All right, we're gonna do our little pop quiz today at church. When Moses went to the mountain, how many commandments did he bring down from Mount Sinai? How many? Look at you, y'all get an A today. Congratulations, you've passed church, all right? And so, but he wasn't just referring to the 10. These guys were so bright and so intelligent, they had created 613 other things you had to live by. So if you were going to be a person that claimed to be a God follower, you had to live by these things. So they are, I mean, how is Jesus going to get this answer right? How do you pull one of 613? How do you pull one of 10? How can you figure out which is most important? Jesus seems to always have the right answer. And look at what Jesus said. And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. We serve one God, is what he's saying. And this is called the Shema of the Old Testament. Every Jewish child would say this every day. It's in Deuteronomy. And Jesus quotes it, and he says this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You want to know what's most important? You love God with all you got. If you love God with all you've got, all the other stuff takes care of itself. And then he closes and he says this, and we're going to get into it in a second. And you must love your neighbor. Of equal importance, you must love your neighbor as yourself. In that day, in that debate, in that conversation, he laid out a game plan that 2,000 years later, we are still trying to figure out how to live. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, speak to us. Father, teach us. 
whether we're 16 or we're 60, whether we're in the middle of our career, end of our career, or a college student, high school student, just going to class, trying to figure out what's in front of us, wherever we are today, speak to us. And God, may we never forget the sound of your voice when we hear it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Before you're seated, turn around and find two or three people around you and introduce yourself to them and you can be seated. <clears throat> so for 15 years, every Friday night and fall from August till November, December, depending on how long the team plays, Myself or Casey, my son, we've stood up and we've done a high school football chapel for a local high school. Uh, a typical Friday, uh, I arrive at 3 o'clock every Friday. We go to the equipment room. We yuck it up, the coaches, and we give out jerseys. And then the kids go to a special teams meeting, and then they meet in the quad. And we do a big prayer together. And then they go in, and they go in the cafeteria. And when they go in the cafeteria, they start with managers and trainers, and then seniors and juniors and sophomores. And then the coaches eat, and they get done eating. They put their food away. And I get up and have a message every Friday night for 15 seasons and we'll do a, a theme or we'll do a character of scripture. This year we're doing a theme called Uncommon and we're doing the Hall of Fame chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 of these uncommon people. So every Friday, you know, and it, so here's sort of how it works. So you got these, these kids around, you have some kids that are locked and loaded. I mean, it really doesn't matter what the theme is, what I'm speaking on. I mean, they are locked in. Some of them, most of the time, they are older. They understand it a little bit more, and they get it, and they, they lock in. There are other kids, they lock in, not because they get it, but they're hoping that God will allow them to finally get on the field, which they probably aren't, all right? And so you locking in doesn't mean you're any good, all right? And so they're, but they're locked in. They, they watch. But then you have a group of yahoos that are bumping or trying to pull somebody's chair out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you are raising those kids. I could name them, but I won't hurt your feelings. But anyway, so they, this, this just happens. They're 75, 25, 75 locked in, 25. Average Friday night, literally average Friday night from August till end of the season. Uh, this team's been blessed to go on and play quite a, quite a long while in the playoffs, a couple seasons. I remember there's one night though, out of my 15 seasons, I remember. We were in Savannah, Georgia, getting ready for a Final Four game. I had a buddy of mine that pastors a church down there that I called him and said, hey, we're coming into town. Could you host us for dinner, for the pregame dinner? He's like, man, I would love it. So Darren clears out of their auditorium, and they put up a bunch of tables, and we all show up and eat. And then after that, I remember getting up to speak. I, and here's what I don't remember. I don't remember the topic. I don't remember the theme I don't remember the scripture. What I remember is every eye. That is what I remember of that night. Because those kids knew as soon as we got done with that, they're going to get on a bus. We're going to ride about five more miles. And they're going to get off in a packed environment. And they're going to play for an opportunity to play for state championship. What they've been working on since the prior January. I, rem I will never forget that night 
every eye clued in. Every eye. It was the weirdest thing. And it, it's marked me. It's how I pray today is for you. The gravity of what Jesus said is easy to hear, hard to live. What Jesus said that day is easy to go, oh, yeah, 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 I know that one. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, I can quote that one. But it's incredibly hard to live out. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody look at me. God's game plan for living is not complicated, but it is hard to live. It isn't like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. No, 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 we know what to do. We just have a hard time doing it. He said there's three, he actually said there's two things we gotta get right in the game plan. Number one, ready? I gotta love God. I gotta love God. He said if you wanna get this, of all the things that matter, love God. Oh, okay, Mike. So I go to church and I pray and I go to small group and I read a devotional for five minutes and I listen to worship music on the way into church and I listen to podcasts. Is that what loving God means? So listen to what he said. Listen to what Jesus said. It. He said, and you must love the Lord your God with what of your heart? What did he say? with all your strength, with all your mind. Here's what he said. Here's the word I want you to write down. This is what it meant. You should be consumed with God. Not a fleeting thought, not an afterthought, not something, oh yeah, 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 I think that God said something. No, 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 consumed with. First thought when I wake up, last thought when I go to bed. That's consumed. And all throughout the day, thoughts about who he is are fresh on my mind. That's what it means to be consumed. Now, loving God sounds easy. That doesn't sound as easy. I'm, gosh, almost 40 years into the Christian journey. There are moments of consumption. And then there's moments that I probably don't think a lot about the Lord. Are y'all that way too? So in my study this week, I ran across this, and we'll publish it this week. It's from a guy named Daniel Aiken. And he asked these questions. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Do I have a deep, intense, abiding affection for my Lord? Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? Do I resist, even oppose anything or anyone that seeks to do my Lord harm? Am I zealous to, with grace, defend my Lord's name and honor? <laughs> this is the one that got me. Do I enjoy spending time with my Lord? Do I do things that please my Lord and increases joy? Do I brag on my Lord to others? Do I tell my Lord that I love him? And do I talk with him as much as I can? 
and I'll just give you the Mike Lynch. All of a sudden, what I thought I had licked, loving God, I didn't feel quite as good at as I did before. So understand this. If you got up every day and were 100% consumed with him, it would not change how he feels about you. He loves you as much today as he's ever going to love you. But when you're 100% consumed with him, you're going to be more in love with him than you could even ask, dream, or imagine. Jesus said, you want to know what the game plan of life is? Love God. First John tells us that when we love God, we will obey his commandments. So love, and I want you to write this down under it, love equals obedience. All of a sudden, I, I am going to desire to do the things, not because I have to, but because I want to do the things that honor the Lord. Not partial obedience, but complete obedience, just like God. You've given me this life while I'm here on this earth. I'm going to love you with everything I've got. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail trying to love you more. That's where I'm going to fail. Not like, oh, I should have. No, 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 no. The reason the world was turned upside down in the book of Acts, and we're going to be back in Acts next week, the reason they turned the world upside down is they were consumed with God. They were like, we want to know God. And so we're, we just yield our lives to him. Love God. Number two, love people. Love people. Now, listen, I'm telling you, this isn't complicated. But Jesus said, you want to you make a difference? Love God with all you got and love people like you want to be loved. All right, let's call time out. This is, we get really spiritual on Sunday morning sometimes and we don't get practical. Here's the hardest part about loving people is they're not like you. All right, that's the hardest part of loving people, right? If everybody in the world was like you, wouldn't the world be a better place? Don't you feel that way sometimes? If everybody drove like you drove or acted like you act or had the humor that you have or don't have. All right, so you just feel like the world would be a better place, right? If everybody in the world, in my world, all right, this is the Michael Lynch world, all right? Everybody would speak to each other all the time. So I remember we went to Cooperstown, New York. Casey was 12, and we went to, drove up, went to Washington, D.C., went and played at Cooperstown. Then we drove back through New York City, and we spent a couple of days in New York City. I did not know in New York City people do not talk to each other on the subway. I did not know that, all right? And so I'm on the subway, and everybody's got their headphones in. They got their eyes down, and I'm like, good morning. Where are you headed? What do you do for a living? And Ann's like, shut up, shut up, all right? And so be quiet. And the kids are like, oh, my God, that's so embarrassing. All right, and so I didn't know people like us are easy to love. People unlike us are hard to love sometimes. The hard part is the world's made of people not like us. But the call to love is still the same. Jesus said it was really interesting. He said the second, I want you to put the verse up. The second is equally important. Equally important. Meaning to love God with all you've got. If you don't get the second one right, you might as well have failed the first one. To love your neighbor as who? What's he say? Yourself. 
See, here's what neighbor means. See, we, we have in our brain, oh, okay, well, I've got a group of people I really enjoy being with. Neighbor just means one who is near. Here's the hard part. During my day, I'm near to different people. At work, I'm near to this group. At my hobby, I'm near to this group. I'm at PTA, I'm near to this group. When I'm at my son's or daughter's ball game, I'm near to this group. When I'm in my dorm, I'm near to this group. When I'm in my frat house, I'm near, near to this group. My sorority or wherever it is, one who is near. Here's our call. Everybody look at me. Wherever you go, give them what you would want. When you're lonely, what do you wish somebody would do for you? When you're sad, how do you wish somebody would respond to you? When you lose a loved one, what do you wish somebody had said to you or done for you? I remember hearing Rick Warren when he lost his son, Pastor at Saddleback. He said, you know what my neighbor did? He rolled my trash can up and put my mail at my door. That's what I needed. He loved me like he would want to be loved. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a world that's dying to see what this looks like. They're dying to see. Not how much you know. Not how much of the Bible you can recite, which I hope you can. It's great. These jokers knew the five, first five books of the Old Testament could quote it. The problem with it was they didn't love people. They judged people. If you didn't measure up to the 613 laws, you were worse, they were better. And Jesus had a big problem with it. And they had a big problem with Jesus. You're like, Mike, listen, I need to go to a church where they're about deeper things. Everybody look at me. I'm giving you your out. When we master loving God and we master loving people, we'll move on to something deeper. But for 25 years, I've watched myself come up short. I will spend the rest of my days trying to figure this out so my life can count and your life can count. For 25 years, I've watched the church universal make such a complicated game plan. Nobody on the field knows where to go and what to do on the play. And Jesus says, I'm just going to tell you, you want to matter? Love God with all you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus went on and he said, do to others what you would like them to do for you. This is the essence of what is taught in the law and prophets. And then we added number three, live sent. Live sent. I want you to write this word under number three. Ready? Mission. Mission. Paul says to the church at Ephesus these words, God saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift. 
Salvation is not a reward for the good you've done, so nobody can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God, everybody look at me. God left you here once you met him to spend the rest of your life on mission for him. To look like he looks. To love like he loves. To be Jesus with skin on for somebody else. Period. And for all of us, that's going to look different. How that's lived out. I remember a few years ago, I got a call from a good friend in Alpharetta at North Point, actually. And he said, Mike, I met a guy this week. You've got to meet this guy. He's created a new thing. He's left his company. He's created a new thing for athletes. And Mike, it's awesome. And you guys are going to be best friends. Little did I know that gentleman and his family would leave Gainesville, Georgia and move to Kennesaw and Ackworth and we would become great friends and he would eventually be part of North Star. I want you to watch his story, would you? In high school, it's really important to find something that you're really passionate about because you need community service hours to graduate. And um, to me, I wanted to find something that uh, I would really enjoy doing if I was going to accumulate so many hours doing it. We stumbled upon Books for Africa, which is a lot of the same concept of organizing books, sorting books, but they have a much greater mission. Instead of just swapping books in the community, now we're packing them and shipping them to go to Africa. And then when I got to my sophomore year of high school, um, something that we had to do was uh, a personal project. And what's really cool about a personal project is that you get to pick your project. You get to pick like your end result. And so I decided to make mine about collecting and donating books to donate to Books for Africa. My goal was 3,200 books to represent a fraction of the 3.2 million books that end up in landfills each year. Uh, but with the community, I was able to raise I think right now we're just over 11,000 books. Those kinds of stories are the ones that we started looking for when we first started Positive Athlete. It was that we, we knew kids were doing uh, great things in the community, and it always starts with that kind of an idea, that kind of a heart. And we knew they were out there, but it was just no one was really telling them. No one would know that you did something like this other than yourself, which was is good enough. Mm -hmm. but. We do this thing called, you know, return on inspiration. And so your story is such an amazing story that has helped other kids look at that and say, hey, that's something I could do too. And your, your golf coach nominated you. Why do you think your golf co coach took the time to tell us about you? Well, I think one thing that's kind of tough is a lot of students say, play for the same sport all four years throughout high school and for me I didn't make my baseball team my freshman year at high school so I worked hard to get golf and didn't try out to my junior year and then I was nominated my senior year but going from I barely missed the varsity team beating my junior year but working up to varsity throughout my junior year and then having a top four spot my senior year just the effort I put in to try and help our team I think that's what he might have saw that really helped us our team get our best overall finish in school history this past year. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about what you guys have both done with Positive Athlete and the way we go about it is that, you know, we we have this opening for people to nominate, and both of you got scholarships. 
And uh, but you guys, neither of you did them for the scholarships. You guys, I don't think you even knew that the scholarships existed. You went out and did that because I think a lot of times people do things to say, try to go do some. You, you both did things because you wanted to do it. How would you say that 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 arrived to you? Is a when, when was that spark? Um, I think. It wasn't really a spark, it's just always been there. And I found it pretty early because the community has done so much for me that I wanted to give back and do something for them. I didn't even really know about the scholarships much. I knew that I was nominated for Positive Athlete, but I remember waking up one morning before school and seeing the email that I had won the Northside Hospital the scholarship and I immediately went and told them right before I left for school because I didn't realize that this was a possibility and then we, getting to go to the ceremony at the Hall of Fame was just a really cool experience that was a surprise to me. I love wearing my Positive Athlete t-shirt because it's not just another sports team I joined a couple years ago or um, just something that's a far distant memory that I, did, I was on because of how well I did in the sport. This was purely because like, I did something in the community and it was recognized. Uh, by Positive Athlete. I would say I'm definitely proud to wear it because I was there at that event where I got to hear story after story of all these people who have gone through all these hardships, more than I can say I've gone, at least in my athletic career, and overcoming all these things and just being even in the same group as some of these kids can, it's just like astonishing what people have accomplished and just being in the same sentence as some of these people, it just makes me feel better about what I've accomplished in my life. Would y'all thank Chandler, Darby, and Scott for that? Wasn't that good? What I love about that story is it began with a guy who had a, he was in a, a big career. And he said, you know what? I want to spend the rest of my life doing something that matters. And he creates this, all started in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the cool part is it's, it's nominated by every, literally every school now in the state of Georgia since kids but the heartbeat behind it is recognizing kids for the difference they're making. And then so many of those kids at the Hall of Fame ceremony down at the College Football Hall of Fame get up and they share their testimony of why they do it. All because one lives sent, 11,000 kids got books and other people. It's like a pendulum, right? It's like a domino. Your life living on mission affects. Well, Mike, I can't do that. You know what we, we get to live sent, Ann and I? We get to give. Every Sunday when we give, it's a way of living sent because I'm saying, God, you've blessed me with this. I'm gonna give some back to you, 10% for Ann and I, back to you. And it's a way I can live sent. So for 25 years, we've made some bone-headed financial decisions. Have y'all done that? If any of y'all made, how many of y'all have not made a bad financial decision? I'd love to meet you, all right? And so, how many of y'all have made many bad financial decisions? Raise your hand, all right. I remember going in one time to the car, the, my car guy, and he said, this is the ground and this is where you are, all right? And so I remember that conversation. I made some bad decisions. One of the bad decisions wasn't giving to the Lord. That's probably my best decision I've ever made financially. When we give, we live sent. We help others find their way, right? That's a way. Maybe a bank draft or a check, whatever it is, 
And if you've never done that, I challenge you to do it. Well, Mike, is the church hurting for money? Nope, we're doing better than we ever have. It's not for me, it's for you. Because when I give, I'm reminded I'm a part of a bigger plan. For 25 years, I got to be a part of a bigger plan. And tonight, when we stand out here at the homecoming picnic, we're going to have fun and do all the stuff. And then we're going to gather around and watch people be baptized. I got to be a small part of those stories. Giving. Friday, this past week, I had breakfast with a gentleman. Typically, I don't meet on Fridays. It's our day off. But Ann was out of town. We had no food in the house. And he's like, would you like to meet? I'm like, yes, where? He said, Cracker Barrel. I went, I'm in. All right. And so 7 a.m. Friday morning, Chastain Road, we met at Cracker Barrel. Never met this guy. Lots of mutual friends, never met. So we spent the first five minutes of the conversation catching up, telling me his story. I'm telling him my story. And there was one mutual friend we had. I was like, okay. You got to tell me how you know Eddie was the guy's name. He's like, all right, I'd love to tell you. So 2010, my dad passed away. And it was a very, very tough season for my mom and for our, uh, the kids. He said before my dad passed, they had gotten his imprint, a fingerprint. And his mom now wears a necklace with his dad's fingerprint because that's the uniqueness right nobody's got one like you they said it was a hard season one morning my mom got up to go to Home Depot to get something she'd never been by herself she didn't know where to look she didn't know what to do she didn't know who to ask and was just overwhelmed some of you have been there just overwhelmed one day when Ann's gone, that will be me at Home Depot. All right, not Ann, but, but it was his mom. <laughs> he said, she's standing there and this gentleman walks up, gray-headed fella, walks up to her and he said, can I help you? And she said, I just don't know what to do. And he could sense it. He said, tell me about your necklace. And she said, well, that was my husband, his fingerprint, and he's gone on to be with the Lord. And he looks at her and he said, ma'am, I, I just work here, but I would love to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And this guy's telling me the story. He said, right there in the middle of Home Depot, this man who she's never met reaches out, puts his hands on her shoulders prays over her and then it goes and helps her find the tool she comes back tells her son you are not going to believe what happened to me this morning it was like God sent somebody right when I needed him most you got to meet him one day what this gentleman who I'm having breakfast with didn't know is the guy that met them I've known since I was a little boy. My mom was his banker for his business before he sold it. He's just working at Home Depot now and making a little extra money and living on mission. He and his wife had two good friends there at the school there in the community. And this lady 
had said, one day you got to meet my dad. You got to meet my dad. So they're at a basketball game. His, the gentleman who I'm having breakfast with and his mom's there to watch the game and this lady and her husband are there to watch the game. And this girl goes, my dad, there's my dad. Come on up here. And it was Eddie. And he comes up there in the bleachers and his mom sees him and goes, that's the man. That's him. And just starts weeping. One guy who decided to get up and go to Home Depot that morning and not sell a tool, not show you down the aisle, but to be Jesus with skin on. He goes, that's how we became friends and he'll be my friend for the rest of my life. When he told me the story and we figured out our common friend, I was not surprised a bit. That guy's been doing that as long as I've known him. Tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., my screen will populate with faces, most of whom I will never meet on this earth. Baseball coaches, pro scouts, high school coaches from Oregon to Florida. Some of these jokers at 6 a.m. where they are. And they're popping up on my screen and they're going through exactly what we're doing right now. I'm teaching what I'm teaching you right now. We'll get to the end of that call and there's a guy on there named Kevin who Coach Moyer and I are friends with. Kevin's a big old, big old joker. 30-year Major League Baseball scout. Major League Baseball scout of the year. He's way more than that. Big Kev in Peachtree City, Georgia, KB, is going to lean into that screen tomorrow. And he's going to go, he's going to say these words. Gentlemen, you are just a minister disguised as a scout or a coach. Don't ever forget it. Live on sin. Live, live on mission today. Live sin. You just happen to wear the uniform of a coach. You're not a coach. You're there with a bigger mission and a bigger purpose. What would happen if we all lived that way? We would live the book of Acts. We would live the book of Acts. Because the world is dying to see what it looks like for a person to love God and a person to love people and a person to live sin. Here's where I'm at. I'm just going to tell you where I am at. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail at those three things. Because I don't think you can. If every day I get up and I love him with all I got and I love people to the very best of my ability and I live sent, no matter what outfit I may wear to work, I can make a difference for him. Would you pray with me? Father, today, God, I pray for this church. I pray that if anybody could describe North Shore, they'd just say, I don't know. I can't tell you much about them. But I tell you this, man, they love people and they love God and they seem like they know what they're doing. They seem like they're on a mission that's way bigger than this earth. I'll take it. God, I pray we'll be light in a dark world. I pray we'll be a city on a hill.
God, one day when our eyes lock eyes with you on the other side, look at us and said, you did good. You were me to everybody you met. And Father, that is my prayer. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.